you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200 k for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's PACASO.com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to Move the Sticks, DJ and Bucky. And man, all that time in the offseason where Buck, we're trying to figure out what we're going to talk about and <laughs> looking for topics and what can we do. No shortage of topics for us to chop up today. Come on, man. You got to love it. You got to love, like, man, I, I think everything is better when you have a deadline. I think when you put a cut deadline or something yep. like that, like you get all the flurry of activity. And I never anticipated what we were able to see. Um, at the deadline, just the amount of trades, the amount of people leaving places, some of the guys that were cut, some of the guys <laughs> that were picked up after they were cut. It has been a crazy, crazy weekend. And then don't forget, you sprinkle a little college football in there, and uh, it made it a very, very exciting weekend. And no doubt. And that's the ground we're going to cover today. We're going to talk about these two big trades uh, involving the Houston Texans, shipping out Clowney, bringing in Laramie Tunsil, two humongous trades. Uh, we'll dig into our thoughts on those deals. Uh, we're going to do a little college football, switching over to that side, getting a chance to 
see the first full slate of games was a lot of fun. Uh, we both had a chance to dig in, watch some tape, and, and study what we uh, uh, what we saw from some of the top players in the country. We're going to focus a lot on those quarterbacks as well as some other key players from the week. And uh, we got our good buddy Bruce Feldman. I had a chance to to visit with Bruce actually. While he was out at a Little League baseball game, uh, he was kind enough to, to join me earlier today and uh, and talk about some of the top players in college football and talk really about Lincoln Riley, who, in my opinion, Buck, I thought was the star of the mm-hmm. college football weekend and somebody that's going to generate a lot of discussion in the uh, college circle as well as the NFL circle. Absolutely. Um, it, it's a great time to talk about all these guys because I think the more that the college game infiltrates the pro game, the more you're going to have these owners and general managers, decision makers looking to the college game to see who can be the next big thing. And even though we have all eyes on Kingsbury and there may be some skepticism about him, I do believe the way the game is going, more guys are looking for innovators. And the way that Lincoln Riley put on a show with his third quarterback in three years, I think you have a lot of people that are going to be knocking on his door. And no doubt. All right. Well, let's uh, let's jump right in here because it's rare you have trades like this in the NFL. We guess we saw it last year with the Khalil Mack trade about the same time. And uh, we see another one. The guy who was picked ahead of him in his draft class, Jadevian Clowney, he did not uh, did not report for the Houston Texans, would not sign his franchise tender. The fact that they were unable to to make a move with him prior to, I believe it's July 15th was the deadline, meant that he could no longer sign a contract extension. So it was just a matter of him signing the franchise tag and showing up to play in Houston or signing it and allowing himself to be traded. And once that deadline had passed, once he wasn't showing up, he kind of got to call his own shot, Buck, about where he was going to go because you want to trade him to the Dolphins? That's fine. I'm not going to sign my tender. You can't trade me. Uh, So they had to find a team he was agreeable to go to. That ended up being the Seattle Seahawks for really a small price. You're talking about a third-round pick in 2020. Uh, backup linebacker Jacob Martin and uh, Barkevius Mingo, kind of a, a, a swing guy, can rush a little bit, be a linebacker. Been a little bit of a disappointment through his career, uh, but uh, bring some athleticism to help uh, the depth there for the Houston Texans. I guess uh, just get your overall thoughts on this thing. Wow, there's so many, so many thoughts, uh, so many thoughts on this trade. Uh, let me first say, like, based on some intel and talking to people around Houston, um, the whole issue with Jadavian Clowney and Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans kind of centered around the fact that the Texans didn't believe that Clowney was a great worker. Um, they had questions about his durability and his injury history and then his overall desire to be a great player. Uh, Bill O'Brien coming from where he comes from, having ties to the Patriots organization, having spent time there. He is used to a certain way of going about your business. Guys that are professional, guys that kind of relish the opportunity to do extra stuff, extra work, extra time in the film room, extra stuff on the practice field, all of that. And Jadavian Clowney wasn't that guy based on what I talked to you know, based on the reports I heard from people down there, that just wasn't his thing. And Bill O'Brien had a tough time envisioning giving him a ton of money, knowing that he wasn't going to turn around and be one of those model citizens when it came to work ethic and that stuff. And so, look, Jadavian Clowney never has been a fan of training camp and all those things. And so they knew that this was going to be an opportunity for him to be away. But Bill O'Brien was just hell-bent on, I'm not paying him big money when I know he's not really that guy that is going to take the money and elevate his game. He would rather just keep him on a one-year deal and move on. And so when this trade opportunity came up with the Seattle Seahawks, he was more than willing 
to make the deal. And even though they gave up $7 million in cash to go with him in the third-round pick yeah. and all the other stuff, um, Bill O'Brien just did not want that kind of guy setting the standard in the locker room, and that's why he parted ways with him. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you hit on a lot of the key points there, Buck. And, and when you look at Clowney, it, let, let me just say it this way. It's possible to be a great player and also be a disappointment. As crazy as that sounds, but Clowney, Buck, the ceiling has been so high for him and the expectations so high. And while he's been, I would say, even a great player, dominant against the run and a good pass rusher, he's never had double-digit sacks. I mean, you look at the sack totals, it's four and a half one year, six, nine and a half, nine. Um, those are good numbers. And he's a great run defender. And he's had a chance to play opposite or alongside one of the best pass rushers in the history of the NFL in J.J. Watt. So you know you're going to get some opportunities to rush there. Um, but it is. It's, it's, it's fell short of what the expectation was for him. And I think this will be good for him. Uh, go to Seattle, even if it's just a one-year rental for the Seahawks. I think Pete Carroll will be good for him. He'll be able to get mm-hmm. him going. I'm hoping, you know, as good as he's been, I'm hoping we're going to see, you know, a more consistent Clowney and, and give us that 15, 16 sack year that you know – he's capable of with his ability. It just hadn't happened there. And and we look at the Houston Texans, the miscalculation was they thought he would show up and they would get him for this year. And uh, and that didn't happen. He didn't show up and that changed their plans and they had to do what they had to do. No, they had to do what they had to do. I think this is also a great lesson for us as scouts, DJ. Um, people don't really change, right? So the same questions that we yeah. have about Jadavian Clowney now, we had those same questions and concerns when he was coming out of South Carolina. Because remember, that last year, there were people that believed that he shut it down, that he didn't really give maximum mm-hmm. effort for Steve Spurrier, that he was a guy that would milk injuries, that he wouldn't show up and do all the things that you expect a high-level player to do. And he did flash, but never really fully produce. We saw the flash where he knocked the helmet off, and that kind of put him on the map. We saw flashes of great athleticism and stuff, but we never saw him become a refined rusher. We never saw him take his game up from good to great when it came to technically and fundamentally dominating the position. And so he does kind of leave you wanting more. And I'll, I won't say that he is this player because I don't think he's as good as this player. But I do remember when we were in Carolina and we had Julius Peppers and Julius Peppers was the second overall pick. Julius Peppers got a bunch of sacks, but there was an internal feeling, man, but he could be doing, he should There's be doing. More meat on the bone. There's yeah. even more. Now, what we overestimated, we underestimated like how hard it is to find someone who can do what Julius was able to do. And that's why they brought him back at the end of yeah. his career because there was a greater appreciation for someone who fell out of bed and could get you 12 to 13, 14 sacks. The difference <laughs> is Jadavian yeah. Clowney isn't quite at Julius Peppers' level when it comes to his ability to get to the quarterback. Julius was more refined. With Clowney, what I see is a raw athlete who's explosive, he's powerful, but he still doesn't have a plan for, for getting to the quarterback. And I don't know if you can teach somebody to have a plan four or five years into the league. I do know that Pete Carroll loves athletic guys with instincts, and he'll trade those traits over anything else. So we'll see if it works for him. But Seattle has proven they're not afraid to do these one-year rentals. They did it a couple years ago with Sheldon Richardson. It didn't work out long-term. But for a year, they'll see what Jadavian Clowney can do. Gives them a top pass rusher in a league where you need pass rushers to knock the quarterback down. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good move, I think, by John Schneider. And he's he's getting a lot of praise for what they were able to pull off here and, and the limited um, amount they had to give up to bring in somebody like Clowney. Now, you go back to having Frank Clark and the decision they made to move on from Frank Clark, end up trading him mm-hmm. um, for picks, one of which ended up being L.J. Collier, their first-round pick, who unfortunately hasn't been healthy, so we haven't had a chance to see much of him. Um, but now you are kind of got a committee of guys now with uh, with L.J. Collier, Clowney, and they were able to get a couple other players with Ziggy selections. So the only thing I would – yeah, well, yeah, they got some money for Ziggy Johnson. My only thing, though, Buck, is if you look at the collection, those are a lot of players. There's some mm-hmm. good players. We talked about Clowney hopefully finding that level. Frank Clark's better than all of them. Well, Frank you know Clark what you, is a better football player right. than all those guys. It, the thing is, you know what you have in Frank Clark. Like, you don't know what you're going to yeah. get from Jadavian Clowney and Ziggy Ansah. Uh, both guys have dealt with injuries. Um, typically, you would like to trade the homegrown thing for the unknown, especially when you draft a player. Typically, the premise is to draft, develop, and resign. And so whatever issues they had with Frank Clark, they believed that they could get more. And so they have three guys trying to do the job that Frank Clark did. We will see how it turns out. But you're right. Frank Clark is a really, really good football player. Uh, Frank Clark is a better football player than we've seen from both of these guys at their best. Um, So we'll see how it works out. But kudos to them for being able to get – Maybe a three-for-one deal in terms of – It was of, a haul. I mean, look, you let go of Frank Clark, you get Jadavian Clowney, Ziggy Ansah for less than what you would have paid for for the franchise tag. If it works out, you look like an economic genius. But we'll see what it looks like on, on, <laughs> on the field. Well, to me, it, again, the creativity of John Schneider, that's what, 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 uh, what impresses me. He's got a plan, and he's able to maximize his opportunity there. All right, let's get to the next trade here, Buck, because this is a huge one. Um, the Texans – make their trade for Laramie Tunsil with the Miami Dolphins. The the Texans receive Laramie Tunsil, Kenny Stills, a fourth-round pick in 2020 and a sixth-round pick in 2021. Here's what they gave up. They gave up their first-round pick in 2020 and their first-round pick in 2021. Their second-round pick also in 2021, and then some some fodder for the back end of the roster there for the Dolphins. Uh, tackle Julian Davenport and corner Johnson Batamosi, who's really a, a special teams player. So, again, first reaction to this deal was what, Buck? Man, I, I cannot believe that the Miami Dolphins parted with something that we say is maybe the second most important position, maybe the third most important position in the pecking order of team building, a left tackle. It is hard to find a left tackle that emerges as a great tackle in the league. Laramie Tulsa has been all of that. Laramie Tulsa had the incident that kind of caused him to fall to the 12th overall pick. He comes into the league and then he plays up to the standard that we thought he would be when he came in. We thought he was the second or third best player in that draft class. He has he played was my like number that. one player in the draft, Buck. Look, he, he, he's played like that. And so for the Miami Dolphins to be in full rebuild mode, to give up what we would say is kind of like a pillar, a foundational piece, that is uncommon. The other thing is... I don't know what the Miami Dolphins are doing per se when it comes to this year because you bring Josh Rosen over, Josh Rosen isn't starting. You have Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is the stopgap holdover. He's obviously going to be the punching bag, kind of take all the hits or whatever. They don't have a lot of talent or weapons. I saw this, and this is staggering to me. I don't know if anybody that they cut was claimed. DJ, like, if in a league where everyone is, like – looking for talent, sifting through stuff to find talent, if you don't have a single player get claimed, man, that's kind of a testament to the lack of talent that people perceive that you have on your team. 
Well, it's it's interesting to me. Obviously, they are they are going all in for a quarterback um, in Miami, and people were saying, "Man, I feel bad for Josh Rosen. He's not going to get a fair shot." And my my first reaction was, "They've had a chance to look at Josh Rosen, and since they know they what it is." Trade. Yep. And they do not feel like he's the guy. Obviously, in my opinion, they do not feel like he's the guy. He's not starting for this team, and they've made a decision to trade almost all their assets away to try and collect as many picks as possible. So they've got two first rounders uh, uh, each of the next two years, two second rounders each of the next two years. They have all the ammunition you need. I I think there's a a real chance they earn that number one overall pick all by themselves. If they don't end up with the number one overall pick, say they're picking three or four, they have the ammunition to get up there uh, to go get a quarterback. And that to me is what this is all about. Now, uh, a little history, a little history here for you, Buck. You go back to, I believe it was 2008. Bill Parcells is, is running mm. Miami Dolphins. I saw, I saw you they put this Chad out on, on I saw roster. you put this on Twitter. Time. So you saw, you, you saw where I was going, but I, I want to add something that I didn't put in, I didn't put this in the tweet. So they took Jake Long, and I do want to emphasize, Jake Long was a great player. Unfortunately, the injuries, uh, you know, shortened his career. He was a phenomenal player. And as much as we talk about the importance of the tackle position, this is an organization that took Jake Long over Matt, Matt Ryan. Ryan. Could add Matt Ryan was the third pick that year. So just think about how one decision can kind of change things. And people, you know, oh, we can't play the hindsight swing. No, no, this is No, you can. Because yes, you can. <laughs> they had they had absolutely and they had they had that choice of the quarterback of the future who Matt Ryan would still be there. You you'd be still building your team around him. They went offensive tackle. Now I want you to think about this fact, Buck. The guy who was, I believe, in his first year as a director of college scouting in that draft. Obviously, we know how the structure works. You're not making the picks as a director of college scouting, but you're in the building, and you're a part of the decision-making process, and you contribute. You know who that was? Mm, it's Chris Greer. Greer. It was Greer. Hmm? Wow. So Chris was there and saw two paths, right? You take the tackle, who's the safe pick, the sure thing, um, a hard position to find. Even back then, it was hard to find. It's even more hard to find now. But they took that over the quarterback. And now you fast forward here, what is it, 11 years later, they're still running the Miami Dolphins. They're still has the premier left tackle, but they can't find the quarterback. So now he's saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to move on from the tackle, give myself as many assets as possible, because for us to have sustained success in a division where Tom Brady is leaving, in a division where you've got Sam Darnold and Josh yep. Allen waiting to duke it out to see who can take over for the Patriots, we've got to get our guy, and that means trading a phenomenal player in Laramie Tunsil to ensure that possibility. So here is where I believe you're dead on with this. And I believe that everyone has talked about the devaluation of the running back position. Maybe we're seeing the devaluation of the tackle position, and here's why. When you go back and you look at the team that is the standard in the league, it's been the New England Patriots. The Patriots in the last two years have seen their left tackle walk right out of the door. And the reason they've been able to get away without having a premier left tackle is because the quarterback is so good. So when you hit on the quarterback, the quarterback can mask the flaws of every other position on the team. And Tom Brady's ability to get the ball out quick and be decisive and be accurate and be a great leader and playmaker allows the Patriots to play without a premier left tackle. For the Dolphins, if the Dolphins go into the draft and they believe that they can find a guy who is not only um, worthy of being the number one overall pick, but a legitimate franchise quarterback, the franchise quarterback will allow you to play with a lesser player at tackle because he is good. And the way the game is trending, if that guy is someone that right now 
plays for a team that has numerals on the side of the helmet, maybe he's athletic enough to make guys miss and make some plays. So it gives them options, but I believe you're dead on when you talk about we have now seen the after effects of, look, you took position player over quarterback. He comes back to bite you. I thought where you were going to go is your favorite subject. See, the New York Giants and Saquon Barkley. I thought that's where we were going. But yeah. you, you, you no, spared no, no, me no. that I was, I'm not I thought back we were going. I thought we were going, I thought here, we were going that way. But it is a very similar conversation because you at some point have to get the quarterback and you have to get the quarterback right. Maybe the Giants have the quarterback that they wanted, Daniel Jones. But we saw that the Miami Dolphins have never been able to get the quarterback right. And they're just kind of on this treadmill where they can kind of hover around mediocrity. But you're never going to be one of those premier teams until you have an elite-level quarterback man in the position. Well, again, I want to hit one more point on the Dolphins, and we'll flip over and look at it from, uh, from the Texans' standpoint here. And I guess this kind of marries together what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Talking about Tom Brady and the fact that they've been able to usher in and out tackles. Let me, let me just – this is the way I look at this. When you're a young quarterback – you protect yourself with brawn, meaning you protect yourself with really good offensive linemen. Yep. When you're an older quarterback, when you're Phillip Rivers, when you're Drew Brees, when you're Tom Brady, you protect yourself with your brain because you've had an opportunity to see every blitz known to mankind. You know where guys are coming from. You know where your outlets are, even if you get a, some, some leakage on, and when you should be picked up and you get run-throughs. They can process so fast – They can protect themselves with their brain. But when you're a young quarterback, and this goes back to a lesson we saw with Andrew Luck when he was Mm -hmm. young, as smart as a quarterback as we've ever seen come to the NFL, he still took a beating there. Um, I think now, later in his career, if he would have kept playing, his brain would allow him to protect himself a little bit Mm -hmm. more. Um, you You look at Jared Goff without Andrew Whitworth or without pass protection as a young quarterback, not good. They invest in Andrew Whitworth. You protect him. All of a sudden, you see Jared Goff starts playing at a higher level. Um, you build up that offensive line for young quarterbacks. And this is why, when we get to Houston, why they made this move. Now, if Deshaun Watson is in year 10, year 11, and you're not great up front, he's going to have the answers to the test. He's going to be able to protect himself. But as a young player, seeing the beating that he took last year, they got to get him to year 10. In order mm-hmm. to get him to year 10, you have to invest. And that's why I don't think that necessarily they overpaid. As, as high as the cost was there, I don't think they overpaid because number one on the agenda is protecting and, and letting Deshaun Watson get to those prime years. He's not there yet. He's got an unbelievable ceiling buck, but you gotta you got to let him survive to get to that point. You absolutely have to let him survive. And – I I love where you're going with this. And I I do believe um, the whole thing with Deshaun Watson and what Bill O'Brien is. And I don't know if this is a direct knee-jerk reaction to what we saw with Andrew Luck and Andrew Luck retiring and all of that stuff. Oh, I think it factors in. I do. But but what you're you're definitely seeing, he's like, I got a young quarterback. I need to build up the fortress around my king and make sure that he is protected. And all those picks and all of those things, those are great. But those are lottery. Those are coin flips. I don't know if I'm going to get a good yep. player. But what I do know, Laramie Tunsil is a good player. I don't mind paying money for yep. good players. And I think sometimes when we get in this, I think sometimes we want to hoard all the picks because it's the possibilities. The, the unknown is really enticing. But I like established things. And so I am more likely yep. to trade for something that I know exactly what I'm getting 
rather than wait for the draft and speculate on what I could get, what might be, what could be. I'm going to take what I know is. No doubt. And let, and let me just give you these four points I jotted down when, when I really looked at this trade. From the Texans' perspective, let me give you the four reasons why they did this trade. Number one, protect Watson. We've just been through that. You can't allow him to take the beating he's taken. So you got to protect Watson. I do think Andrew Luck, um, seeing that firsthand, I think that impacted it. So to, number one, protect Watson. Number two, again, having to do with Andrew Luck, your, your window is open right now. You've got a quarterback on a rookie deal. We talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Load up. This is your time. Go make your run. And in that division now, the gap at the quarterback position between Houston and everybody else is large. They've got a chance right now. This is your time. Make it happen. Number three, there is no left tackle tree, okay? There's no left tackle pipeline. Colleges, since they changed the rules where they're not allowed to spend as much time on the practice field, they have not been able to develop offensive linemen. You look around the preseason this year, you will not find 64 quality offensive tackles. In fact, you'd be hard-pressed to find 32 of them, and I'm talking left or right. Just guys you can play with and you can win with. There is, there is none. There, there's not enough talented left tackles coming in the NFL. So you get one, like you said, it's a known commodity. That's number three. The last one, and this is, is part of the discussion, I think, Buck, is we talk about having a head coach and a general manager. A head coach is always right now, tomorrow, today. Mm -hmm. uh, What's going to help us win? A general manager, long term. That's why it used to be general managers could hire a couple coaches because they always had to look after the long term of, of the organization where a head coach is trying to just make sure he survives another year. So this was a right-now decision. Not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying head coaches look at it and say, we got to play next week. I need some help. And, right now. and that's why you see a decision like this being made. It's funny. I, I love all these points like um, because all these points, I, I think, uh, apply to several situations. But in Houston, it is all about the quarterback. You have a legitimate quarterback. You found him in the draft. You identified him. Now let's build around him. You brought up the example with Jared Goff and what, the Rams did with Jared Goff in terms of surrounding him, putting a fortress by him, and he has played like a king since that point. Uh, the championship window being open right now. As much as we like to speculate, like, hey, man, this team is going to be good to go for the next two, three, four years, we never know. On a year-to-year basis, the, the, the chemistry and the continuity of the team changes. If the window is open, you got yeah. to bust through the window right now. This is their chance. Um, in terms of the pipeline, there, you're right. There isn't a pipeline in college. There, there isn't a single college that is pumping out offensive tackles, offensive linemen at a rate where we're saying, hey, these guys can absolutely get it done. You just go to this university, you can get it. We talked about Stanford and all the offensive linemen that have come out of Stanford the last few years. Those guys haven't really panned out and materialized. So if Stanford is at the upper end, maybe one of the elite programs, them in Iowa and maybe Wisconsin – Hard I to say find. Notre, Dame, Notre Dame has been the Notre best. Dame. Yeah. That's been the Oblate. one school. Yeah, That's so it. it's, it's hard to find them. And so if I can't find them, then what I got to do is I got to overpay because someone else in the pros has developed my guy. Now I'm going to take him from you. So that's what you do. And then the head coach versus general manager debate is one that always goes on in, in meeting rooms around the league. The head coach is short term. He is singly focused on what can I do to help us win week one, week two, through week 16. The general manager is supposed to be the one that acts as the checks and balances to the head coach. Hey, coach, hold on. We still got to set this up for a sustained run. Yeah. But the way it's going now, DJ, the way the volatility in the league is, you can't even really think about a long-term plan. You got to find a way to get your team into the playoffs and win some games, and hopefully that playoff run will buy you some time to then rebuild on the fly. There's no long 
long-term plans to it's a project, I'm going to tear it down and then I'm going to build it back up, even though the Dolphins are trying to do that. Owners want to see if you can uh, win, then repair while you're winning, not rebuild while you're winning. And last thing, and then we'll move on and, and talk to uh, to our buddy Bruce Feldman. But um, I know they do not have a first-round pick the next two years. But now is the time, and as I'm guessing it's Nick Cesario. I think that's what most people in the league expect to happen, that once mm-hmm. uh, the year is over, that Nick Cesario will make that leap uh, from New England and, and come be the general manager there for Bill O'Brien and the Houston Texans. But if it's not Nick, somebody else, you better get the right GM because next year, while you have no one, I believe they have a second-round pick. And with comp picks, I think even Peter King might have said this, they have they could have three third-round picks next year and I believe two fourth-round picks. So while you don't have a one, uh, three threes, two fours, you've got a two, you better make sure your scouting department is led by the right guy and you can go out and find those key players. And because now the, the margin of error is, 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 is not there. I mean, you, you've, got, you've got to hit on those picks. Um, you can't afford to miss on them. So that, to me, is, is, uh, underscores the importance of them hiring the right guy. Look, we can talk about this. Uh, we saw the Seattle Seahawks kind of um, take a loaf of bread and, and feed the masses. They sliced it off, <laughs> didn't have many picks, sliced it off, and they were able to get um, a plethora of picks that allowed them to kind of fortify their roster. We will see the next general manager that comes to Houston. He has to be one of those guys that can be a miracle worker. He has to be able to take the handful of picks that they have, trade, parlay those into multiple picks, and then parlay those picks into players. And so it's a multi-tiered process, but they got to expand the amount of picks they have, and then they got to bring in the right players to fill the needs on that team. And uh, also going to have an opportunity to be active in free agency, I would believe, too. When you're not uh, not going to have a first-round pick the next couple of years, you probably get a big-ticket item uh, there in free agency. So it'll be interesting to follow uh, this Texans team and see what they end up doing going forward. Uh, all right, Buck, let's switch gears here, talk a little college football. I had a chance a little bit earlier today to catch up with our buddy Bruce Feldman. Uh, I'm sure you know who Bruce is. If you don't, Bruce uh, works for The Athletic, is one of the best writers uh, for college football and has been for a very long time working for various outlets and does a wonderful job uh, on Fox as a, a sideline reporter for one of their top college football teams. Nobody knows these college kids better than Bruce Feldman. He's been a great resource for us over the years and had a chance to visit with him about some of the goings on from week one of the college football season. Hey, Bruce, I appreciate you joining us, man. Uh, I, I understand we're at a baseball game right now, so if we hear a little noise in the background, you're not actually participating in this game, though, right? We're watching, we're watching some youngsters out there. We are watching. It's my five-year-old son. It's the beginning of, of uh, all baseball practice, which I, I know that, that sounds worse than that. What, it kind is, sw- but, uh, what, what kind of swing? What kind of swing are we working with here? Uh, not bad. He's little, uh, but he's really into it. So his favorite player is Jose Altuve. Which means he's he's oh, he's nice. got the profile down. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good comp right there. And scouting got to have a good comp. He's already got it. I love it. He's already. Uh, hey man, I want to jump yeah. into some of these. Uh, oh yeah, I want to jump into some of these college football topics here. For, first thing I wanted to ask you about because I thought watching football all weekend and getting a chance to to watch a lot of tape uh, of these games, the thing that kind of just stood out to me, I thought the star of the weekend was really Lincoln Riley. I mean, what this guy's been able to do year after year after year. Uh, we know about the transfers, two first-round picks, two first-overall picks, and here comes Jalen Hurts. And uh, Bruce, to me, looked looked more comfortable, looked more confident as a passer. The scheme seems to fit him, and I just keep coming back to Lincoln Riley, and, and I don't know that we've seen anything like 
uh, what he's been able to do in terms of, of, of really getting the best out of this position. Yeah, user-friendly to the extreme. And I think what's really interesting here is you have three very distinct personalities. Now, all Baker runs pretty well. Obviously, Kyler runs really well. And Jalen Hurts is a bigger dude who runs well. But the personalities are really, really different. I think to make them all fit is impressive how he gets guys comfortable. And remember, the first two guys were transfers. They sat out a year. Uh, Jalen just got there in the spring, hit the ground running. Also, new offensive line. I think, and I've said this uh, a couple times before, I think the best-kept secret in in major college football is attached to Lincoln Riley, and that's Bill Biedenbaugh, the offensive line coach. They only had one guy back. And what, what he does, not just develop in his guys, but also in the way they scheme up some stuff in the run game, that's a lot of Biedenbaugh and Riley working together. And I, I just don't think... Uh, he probably gets enough credit for what he does. But, but Lincoln's ability to attack defenses and get people off balance with things, it's just like he always has a lot of interesting little wrinkles. And I think that's what – I don't say that, that makes him very different from the other air raid guys, but Leach does what Leach does, and he doesn't really add stuff because he doesn't want to take anything away from the system. Lincoln, it feels like, is always adding stuff, and he makes it where it's pretty seamless in how he's able to get these guys to grasp it. This is really early. I know it's just one week into the season, but it just kind of begs the question, you know, three years from now, five years from now, is Lincoln Riley still, is he still in Norman at that time, in your opinion, or do you think this is eventually going to get to the point where he wants to scratch an itch and, and go try it, try it out at the next level? Eventually, I think we'll get to that point. I don't think he's there now for a couple of reasons. One, he has a really young family that they've gotten settled in there. Two, I think he knows he's got a great situation. He's got the best AD in college football he works for in Joe Castiglione. I think he sees an opportunity to really make an imprint in college football, what he can do there. And I think he knows that the NFL is going to be there, um, you know, five years from now. I think what, if you're him, you're pretty close to, to, to having a real shot to win some rings there. And I'm talking national titles, not, you know, big 10 title, big 12 titles. And the addition of Alex Grinch, as a defensive coordinator. Now this is his staff. I don't want to say that, you know, he didn't feel any sense of ownership when, when Mike Stoops, Bob's brother was running the offense, running the other the defense. But I do feel like there is a, a window here. And again, you know, he, he recruited a quarterback who was a freshman from Arizona, Spencer Rattler, who is a really good fit. I mean, it feels like almost everybody, if you have talent is a good fit for what Lincoln's going to do. Cause he's going to fit it to you. But I think, I think he's going to be there for the run of at least wherever happens in the next four or five years with these recruits. And then I would see, I would not be surprised if he jumped, but I would, I would, I would be a little surprised if he jumped within the next year or so. Well, I might have to wait for him. The NFL might have to wait for him, uh, I should say. But I know one thing. I guarantee you that these these Oklahoma games aren't just being watched around college football. I guarantee you there's NFL teams and NFL offensive coordinators studying what Lincoln's doing because he seems to add a couple good uh, wrinkles each and every time you see this Oklahoma team play. A couple other quarterbacks I wanted to hit on before we get over some other guys. Um, from, from these four, what stood out to you the most in week one from Tua Herbert, Fromm, and Jordan Love. Which which one of those guys, to me, um, created the most buzz or caught your eye the most? Well, the one who caught my eye the most was actually the one I'm still kind of on the fence on, and that's Justin Herbert. I mean, he's got a huge arm. Yeah. He's athletic. He's really smart. And in the first half of that game, he and Marcus Arroyo, the OC for Oregon, were on the attack. And that's a really good defense they were against. Terrific D-line. 
pretty talented on the back end, too. And I thought they were aggressive. In the second half, again, I don't know if it was a function of just really limited uh, in what they were able to get open because their, their receiving core is a little banged up and it's not great to begin with. Um, but they just looked very, very passive. And I think that's a concern because when you watch him, as talented as he is, you start to, you know, I made this comparison to some people I know in the business. And I was like, I don't know if there's a little bit of Blaine Gabbert in him where he's got all the physical tools and you're like, man, this guy's an OTA pro bowler. And he can definitely play in the NFL, but you wonder if he is first pick of the draft kind of, kind of guy. Um, is there some Josh Allen in him? You know, where it's just, I don't know. Um, so that's the part where, again, I was expecting him, I guess it was, I don't know, probably like 9 o'clock Eastern. I'm looking at him like, this is the first pick of the draft we're seeing now. And then by the end of the night, it didn't look like. It looked like the guy who struggled against Michigan State, who has a really good defense too, and struggled on some of the other big stages, struggled on the road. So um, that's the one I was most intrigued by. Because the other guys were, were especially Tua, you know, great receivers, He's in better shape now, no doubt yeah. about it. Right? It was lighting up an inferior defense. He looked good, defense. man. He did physically. I think he's 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 special. You know, I, I, to me, there's no doubts on him. The one I, like I said, the one I keep going back on is Justin. I think he's kind of an enigma at this point. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on uh, on Herbert. To me, Josh Allen was the name that kind of crept in a little bit. But even Josh Allen, I would say, just maybe a little bit more instinctive and reactive. I just feel with Herbert, man, even like you go to the Stanford game last year, he could look unbelievable for these stretches. Then all of a sudden he just kind of loses it, loses the feel. Um, Just some of the reaction stuff that's almost backyard football. You want to see some of that um, just natural instincts take over. And I know it's, look, this is nitpicking, and, and I know some people will think it's silly. But it just bothers me on the very last play of the game that you don't have enough feel for the football that you put that thing 10 yards out of the back of the end zone. I mean, that just is just, I don't know, that that bothers me. Because just if you have a feel for throwing the football, that is it, that is at the goal line to two to three yards into the end zone, and you've got a chance, even if you don't catch it, for a tip-up to catch it. But the, the elite guys can control the ball. The thing was 10 yards out of the back of the end zone. Yeah, that's the thing. That was the issue. I'm watching the game with, with my colleague, Brock Heward, obviously a former NFL quarterback. Yeah. And that is not, it's not a Hail Mary. That kid's arm, that's just a shot. Oh. And he makes that throw. And I'm like, man, yeah. he's going to put something on the line. And then it's like, give somebody a chance. I mean, it just, it almost looked like, was that repped in practice? You know, it wasn't like he was at the, at, yeah. you know, his own 45 and he just got up into it. He, and that's, I'm with you on that. That was like just disappointing. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, I want to ask you about two defensive guys. I'm going to let you get back to uh, to baseball practice here. Um, what can you tell me about Terrell Lewis? I, I know he's had the injuries there at Alabama, but, man, Bruce, when you watch Alabama's defense, and always you're going to see some freaky guys on that tied defense, but he looks freakier than all of them, man. That dude is a specimen, and he is explosive. Yeah, you know what? He is long as can be. It's just staying healthy. I mean, he was the guy. I remember – a couple of years ago at the national title game, you know, you're around more of the Alabama staff at that point, just because they're all out in force. They're a little more comfortable to talk off the record and, you know, face to face. And everybody's like that guy. And it's funny because, you know, they have so many five-star guys in that program. Sometimes the guy who might've been a high four-star kind of gets glossed over. And it's not because they weren't, you know, a big stud in high school or a touted prospect. It's just, they get overshadowed. 
and that guy is a little different. I mean, look, you know, they have guys who who may have run or you know like a reported four four seven at a combine or vertical jump this, but then you talk to and this is your world, but you talk to NFL scouts and like, yeah, when we had him, that kid was like a four six something, or they're not quite. I mean, they're they're still yeah. super athletic, but they're not quite as what they were you know touted to be. Um, and this kid, it seems like, is almost the opposite. Where you talk to people inside the program, they're like, no, he's really, really special. He's just got to just got to stay on the field. Yeah, no, it, it was uh, it was fun to watch him run around. Hopefully, he does stay healthy. One more guy. I know you got a chance uh, to see him in person there and talk to the coaches, having done that Stanford Northwestern game. Uh, Paul Sanadibo. Uh, I liked him when I watched him over the summer. I didn't necessarily put him up with those. Uh, those top couple guys, when you look at, at the corner at, at LSU and you look at the corner at Ohio State. But, man, I watched that game, and I haven't got a chance to watch the tape yet, Bruce, but I remember thinking, like, whoa, no, yeah, he, he looks like he belongs up there in that class in Paulson and Paulson. Um, absolutely. I mean, Dwayne Aquina, who has cranked out more elite defensive backs probably than any other coach working in college football right now, from his days at Arizona, you know, had Chris McAllister, had all those, all those, Earl Thomas, Michael Huff, all those guys at Texas – and he puts, you know, this is Paulson Adebo's third year. He puts Paulson Adebo right in there with McAllister and those other guys. And what's interesting with him is, you know, he had told, uh, Akina had told me last week, he goes, you know, we move, you know, sometimes there's a guy who is such a lockdown corner. And we're like, you know, we're going to give him a shot at the nickel to keep him kind of engaged. And that's something they did with Paulson this, in training camp. And they said he really, really took it. I mean, he's a he's put on about ten pounds from last year, and they said his body fat has dropped three and a half percent, which that's some crazy math. I'm not sure you or I could be able to pull that off, no matter what kind of diet we were on. <laughs> uh, he made a big play, made a big big pick in the game on Saturday. I, I think Stanford is crazy. Has only had one All American defensive back in its entire history. That was Tank Williams. I'm pretty sure, barring injury, that Paulson Adebo is going to be the number the second one. Gosh, John Lynch wasn't an All-American, Bruce? He was not. Obviously, like, you know, Richard Sherman, who had a big splash in the NFL, was, was not at that level yeah. as, a, uh, as a college player. I mean, they've had some really good players who've come out of there, or good pros, but this one was, this one, man, it's funny, because he was, a lot of people looked at him as a receiver, was committed to Notre Dame, but just once he got that Stanford offer, jumped at it. And Aquino was telling me, he's like, you know, we had him as both in, in camp, and we liked him, we weren't sure. And then he goes, I went to watch him play basketball at a practice. And he goes, it wasn't like he was a very good shooter, but you're watching his flip his hips and move, and you're like, oh, my God, we yeah. got to, this is one. I, I'm <laughs> totally in on this kid. Well, uh, Dwayne Aquino, like you mentioned, is the best in the business when you uh, get a chance to visit with him. I love over the years of scouting, getting a chance to talk with him about all the different guys that he's coached and, and uh, he's a darn good evaluator as well as a developer there. So that's uh, that's big stuff there on Paulson and Debo. Look forward to watching him uh, the rest of the year. Bruce, get back to baseball practice, buddy. I appreciate your time, man. Oh, always a pleasure to be here. We'll talk to you soon. Well, there you go, Buck. Uh, Bruce is always generous with his time, even when he's out of the Little League game, uh, giving us a, some nuggets there. Uh, about some of these top quarterbacks as well as some intriguing defensive players. But, Buck, I, I don't know if you're with me or not. I thought the star of the weekend wasn't a player. I thought it was actually Lincoln Riley. Oh, absolutely. The, what, the job that Lincoln Riley did and the way that he has gotten Jalen Hurts up and going, I think is another resume builder. It just pads his resume. When you look at the game, I, I, I think um, 
looking at the game, not only as a scout, but as a, a fan and as a spectator, you're looking at the game and looking at Jalen Hurst, and you're trying to envision how could Jalen Hurst play at the next level? How could he be a pro? Is this guy a legitimate NFL prospect? And then what Lincoln Raleigh did is he gave you the blueprint for how he potentially could play at the next level, use a mix of his legs, his arm, make plays, and do that. And then you're looking at it and you're like, wow, like just think about this guy in the last three years has had Baker Mayfield, number one overall pick. Kyler Murray, number overall pick. We don't know what Jalen Hurst will be when it comes to the draft, but the fact that you as an offensive innovator can take, I would say, three different style of quarterbacks and allow your system to still be successful, to me, that's a huge credit. On the NFL level, the only guy that I could relate it to would be Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs went to the Super Bowl with three different quarterbacks. And because he was so flexible in his thinking that he was creative enough to find ways to put those guys in situations where they play to their strengths. Lincoln Raleigh on the collegiate level is demonstrating that ability. And I think if I'm looking for a college coach to come to the league, one of the first things that I believe you have to have, you got to have adaptability, meaning I can take what is already here and I can be like, okay, this is what I have. Well, here's what I'm going to do with what we have until I can get all the pieces that I want and still win games. Lincoln Riley is kind of showing that. Yes, he needs some more seasoning in my mind when it comes to being ready for the pros, but his innovativeness, his creativity, man, it kind of sets him apart for some of the other guys because it's not just his system. It's his ability to mold it around what he has. To me, that it kind of sets him apart from others. Great call on Joe Gibbs, man, going on the way back machine. I forgot about that. Yeah, three different quarterbacks, and to, to take them to Super Bowl is incredible. And I don't think it's talked about very much when you're talking about the history uh, of the NFL. But that's, a, that's the, the to me, is a compliment you can give to a coach. The ultimate compliment is not – there's nothing more frustrating. Hey, we do what we do. We do what we do. You know, get on board and get out of the way. No, no, no. What do, you, what do you do well and let me creatively put together a plan that's going to feature what you do well instead of asking you to do something that, A, you don't do well or, B, you're not comfortable with. Um, and that, to me, is a sign of a great coach. Uh, it, it really is um, because there's so many guys that would tell you, like, no, 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 it's my system, my system, it elevates you, whatever. Like, what you would like is to have a system that is flexible enough that it can adapt to the players. And that's what Lincoln Raleigh has been able to do. And there's several guys in the league who have been able to do things like that where they can take a quarterback and kind of find a way to position them and kind of mask some of their flaws and elevate them. But Joe Gibbs is probably the best to ever do it considering he won the three Super Bowls with three different guys. But to just kind of see Lincoln Raleigh do this with Oklahoma, and now he, he needs to win a national championship to really make that a an apt comparison. But – what he's been able to do with that crew and collection of quarterbacks and the talent that they have. But let's say this, man, Oklahoma, I, I don't know who runs their recruiting, but, man, they get some A-level athletes on the perimeter, man. They make the game oh, look easy. Receivers, man. They make it look fun. I could just see myself as a high school senior looking at, <laughs> at Oklahoma play at any skill position, running back, wide receiver, being like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can get down with that. I like that. I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm watching that and I'm going, okay, if you're any if you're a quarterback, uh, uh receiver, running back, like why why would Oklahoma and Clemson like uh, dang, that, that looks fun, man. Although I, I say Alabama, Alabama look pretty good too now. Oh, Alabama absolutely look good. But if if I'm a quarterback, if I'm a quarterback with, with aspirations of playing beyond, 
why wouldn't I kick the tires in Oklahoma? If I'm a grad transfer or yep. anything, why wouldn't I go? Because I've seen Lincoln Riley produce it. And now that I saw Jalen Hurst, like, put up, like, half a thousand yards, <laughs> like, as a running receiver, <laughs> when we didn't really see him perform to that level at Alabama, I am all in. Yeah, I am, I am all in on that. All right, let's get to some of these other quarterbacks and what we saw over the weekend. Let's start here first. Justin Herbert, uh, Oregon came up a little short. They moved the ball uh, easily in the first half and uh, yeah, slowed down a little bit. The numbers were good, 28-37 to 37 for 242 yards, uh, one touchdown, no picks. They didn't really do anything, obviously, as a runner because the pass rush that was coming at him ended up losing a fumble. Uh, they fall 27-21, to 21, but uh, your takeaways on what you saw from Herbert. You know, man, like I, I'm having a tough time. Like, he, he, and here's what happens, and I, and I'm gonna issue this, and I know people are like, hey, it's an overreaction. Here's what happens when we call what I, I call flash scout, where you kind of catch somebody, you yep. catch a glimpse or two, you see the size, you see the frame, scan scouting. Yeah, you kind of see them do some things, and you're like, hey, man, this guy's gonna be the number one overall before we do the study. Um, yep. I think with Justin Herbert, some of that has come into play, like the hype hasn't necessarily met the performance in a production. When you see him, he certainly checks off all the boxes. He's big, he's athletic, he's smart. Um, he teases you with some of the playmaking ability that he has. Um, by all accounts, when you talk to people around the program, he's a good dude, good leader, all that other stuff. However, in these games, you want to see him elevate. And I will give him this. Look, he, he was down five receivers. He didn't have his A-level guys on the perimeter, and he had them moving. But at some point, we equate it to the pickup basketball game. At some point, I want to see Justin Herbert stay on the court. Stay on the court and win. We talked about this with Sam Donald and the like. There are some guys, guys that when they're playing pickup basketball, it doesn't matter who you surround them yeah. by, they find a way to stay on the court. I need Justin Herbert to win games and stay on the court. However that is. Some games it means I have to run more, I got to throw more, I got to make more plays. But to me, the epitome of a franchise quarterback is a guy that can stay on the pickup court. He finds a way to get the win, and it's not always pleasing to the eye. No, that's a great way to put it. And I, I don't know if you have – do you have any counseling training? Because I'm a, I need <laughs> my, uh, my counselor here for a second. I don't know if you have any formal training, Buck, but just help me with this, okay? Because I, I – and you heard me talking about it with Bruce. Why – Tell me why. Why does it bother me so much the last play of the game from the 30-something yard line <laughs> when you've got a chance to give your team a chance to win the game and you throw the ball 10 yards out of the back of the end zone? I know it's one play, Buck, but it bothers me to my core because as a quarterback, I think that's just a feel. I mean, it's just a feel. That ball is at the goal line, at the front of the goal line, or two to three yards deep. You give yourself, yourself an a chance for for ricochet, but you you have a feel like that. To me, showed me you have like numbness in your hand <laughs> to throw that thing ten yards beyond the end zone. Why does it bother me so much? I know he did some incredible things in this game, it does, but that was the taste that was left in my mouth. Because I think it speaks to the awareness, maybe. I think, like, we always talk about the important part of the, the position, any position, but quarterback in particular. Situational awareness, game awareness, kind of understanding what is going on around me. And I know that this is the last play of the game. And the only way that my team has a chance to extend the game or win the game is we have to have a stroke of luck that gives us a chance. So the best thing that I can do is put it in a situation where the ball can either be caught directly in the end zone, it could be battered around, and somehow my guy catches it and falls into the end zone, or the like. But there is no chance for our team to win 
if it goes out the back of the end no. zone. And so it just kind of speaks to the the awareness or lack thereof that he displayed. And so I'm a little I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned by that. I'm concerned that maybe the hype kind of spun out of control two years ago, and we need to reel that back in because we've kind of put him in that we've put him in that category like, hey, he's going to be the number one. He's going to be the one of the top dudes. And I don't know if like if from a critical eye, if we took away the name on the jersey and we were just watching tape and he was just in a blank uniform and we didn't know who he is, who he was, would we give him the same kind of kudos and accolades and mentions that we've been giving him based on his pure performance? So, you know, when you go to the store and you want to buy something like a, a, a computer chair, right? So you want to mm-hmm. go buy a computer chair. They, I, I, I tend to like like the floor model. It's already put together. I just pick up the chair. I throw it in my car. I take man, it home. I put it in my office, man, and I'm good. You're like me. I, I, I think don't like that, the, I yeah. think Herbert, yeah, I don't So Herbert, to me, he's in a perfectly good office chair. It's just that he's in a box right now. All the parts are in there. They're all in that box. It's not assembled yet. And so to me, with him, it's going to be interesting to see how he continues to grow and develop this year. But it's going to be key that he goes someplace, whoever drafts him, has somebody that's a little more handy than you or I that can, that, that can put this chair together because there's still all the parts, but they're not, they're not together yet. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's not there. But then can we get it there? Um, when have we seen these yeah. things come together? Like um, the more we're kind of in this, the more I'm around the scouting thing. I don't know how much development can occur at the next level, especially at quarterback. Like for some of the other positions, well, like I would say Mahomes. Back, Mahomes is the one. Is the one. Mahomes is the one. But that's with Andy. And that's that's Andy, And he is, is that, so you know he was he, unique. He's, unique he's, he's, Andy is unique in terms of his track record for developing quarterbacks. I think the situation in Kansas City was unique in terms of what was around him. I just believe it's a perfect storm for Pat Mahomes with Herbert. Um, and even this, like with Pat Mahomes in, in comparison to Herbert, I think as wild as Pat Mahomes was as a Sandlot player, there were some glimpses of, oh, wow. Like, I don't know what to do with this. And but, instinctive. But wow. Very instinctive. Yeah. I don't know if I get the same wow plays with Herbert. I get some, hmm, that's impressive. Hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's nice. But the wow factor was a little different with Mahomes and comparison to Herbert, but you're right. I mean, it is rare that we're able to take a guy that we're trying to develop and get him right at the next level when he's talented like this. All right, next one. Uh, I know it's Duke. I'll start with that. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa, Alabama quarterback, 26 of 31 for 336, four touchdowns in the air. Also had uh, you know a little bit of 15 yards on the ground. Not much there on the ground. They they smashed Duke. 42 to 3. I went and watched that tape this morning, Buck, and um, I came away. First of all, he looked lighter. He looked more explosive with his lower body. I, I even uh, put an Instagram video out there on the um, on a little move the sticks handle there where it's I use the term he's he showed urgency and poise, which is a rare combination mm-hmm. of he's just got so much life and energy and twitch in his lower body. But then he's able to get himself in position, then settle everything down, and then throw the ball accurately. And I put out these videos, and press, trust me, people on Twitter are like, oh, it's a bunch of bubble screens. He doesn't throw the ball down the field. And I'm sitting here going like, first of all, I saw him squeeze digs in. I saw him throw crossers. I th- saw him throw from one hash to the other hash. 
And I'm sitting here going, is this what this year is going to be? Is, is this what it's going to be? Him completing like 26 of 31 balls and, and people going to be nitpicking him? I, maybe I'm just nuts. I think this dude is really good, man. I think he is outstanding. And I don't understand the nitpicking with this dude. No, I think he is outstanding. I think he's a terrific prospect. Um, I think what happened last year, I think people kind of got a, a little carried away with Tua based on how he performed in the championship game the previous year. The dude was hurt. He was hurt. And I, and I think with Tua, um, I think you have to know exactly what you're getting. What you're getting is a dude who's a tremendous leader, great character, great IQ, still is a bit of a gunslinger. And you're always going to kind of harness that nature. He just doesn't know how to give up on plays. But what you also are getting, and I think you described it perfectly, you're getting someone with urgency and poise, meaning he plays with a right-now mentality, but he always seems to be calm and cool. And I think that is the part of his game that I really like. And I know this comparison is going to be out there, and I hate it because, like, they, they're, they're similar in terms of, like, their demeanor and maybe even their personality, but people are going to compare him to Russell Wilson. But he has, like, mm-hmm. some of that calm, cool, poised demeanor um, that I think you like. I think the other thing is I think people have the misconception that Tua is a runner, and I'm going to tell you, he is not like the Russell Wilson runner. What he is is he has athleticism and escapability, but he is not the guy that you're looking to run 10 to 12 times and he's going to pick up 70 to 80 yards. He is athletic. When he needs to make plays outside the pocket, he can. But this is a dude that likes to deal from the pocket. And so the thing that guys have to get away from is, can I deal with the height issue? Because I think his height thing is going to come into play as we get closer to the draft if he comes out this year. Can I get comfortable with my quarterback being shorter than the prototypical dimensions? Because I do believe that is going to be a factor when they do measure him out at the combine. Well, it's interesting. I, I was writing down who he reminded me of, and I actually saw some glimpses of Sam Darnold with just how, mm-hmm. how quick Sam was able to, to get his feet going as well as to get through progressions. His mind, quick feet, quick mind reminded me of Darnold. And then, and then there's some Baker Mayfield to him too as well where there's just so much life uh, keep coming back to that just in his lower body. Mayfield is that same way. I would say maybe he's like Baker Mayfield after a nap. Uh, mm, Baker a little bit more Baker hyper than, uh, than Tua. <laughs> but that's kind of who he reminded me of. You make her after a nap. <laughs> I like it. It's unbelievable. Please, please put that in your I, report. I, I guarantee please, you know I, would love, I would love for the general manager to be like, what? <laughs> I love it. It's unbelievable. Uh, you know, that's that's what I was thinking. Of. I was like, you know, ba- you know, Baker. Like, there's got to be some time in Baker's day where he's not just like bouncing off the walls. I figured like he just took a nice little uh, Sunday afternoon nap, uh, and then that's what you get with Tua. Just a little, <laughs> little calm there, in Baker. I love it. That is so. All right, uh, let's get to the two more here. We'll roll through these quick. Jordan Love, uh, 33 of 48 for 416 yards, three touchdowns, uh, three picks. Really could have had about five or six picks when you watch the tape. But uh, uh, Utah State. Um, he is uh, he is live, man. Live arm, uh, real loose. You'll see him drop his arm angles, can make some creative throws. I kind of left this uh, this view on watching this tape this morning, Buck, with a little bit of a Drew Locke vibe uh, watching mm. him. Nice. It's funny you said Drew Locke. So it's the, the comparison that I had uh, in a way was Pat Mahomes-like. But here's what I want people to understand. Not the Pat yeah. Mahomes that we're seeing, the MVP Pat Mahomes, but – 
Pat Mahomes light in terms of the one we saw at Texas Tech, the one that is playing with a lesser cast, a one one that is because he has a lesser cast, he's, he's forcing himself to do more. And maybe he pushes the envelope more than he needs to because he doesn't have all the weapons around him. However, size, arm talent, athleticism, he has all that. The gunslinger mentality, all of those things are really, really intriguing. And so it'll be interesting to get a, a, a collection of offensive coordinators in a room and just kind of pop on the tape and hear what the buzz would be. Oh, I like that. Uh, and and kind of figure out which guys would like to take on a project like that that you're like, yeah. hey, look, man, he has a lot of good stuff. If I just polish out this a little bit, we may have something versus those like, man, I don't know if he's refined enough to do what we would want him to do from day one. Yeah, he's, man, the upside, though, unlimited. And I think he's a more fluid and a little bit more instinctive than Herbert, where Herbert sometimes can look a little mechanical and a little robotic. Yeah. This kid's more fluid and more loose. It's funny. I'm glad you brought the Herbert thing up because I was wondering, man, are we contradicting ourselves because the way that we talked about Herbert, and I wonder how it's going to be. I've never really seen these developmental guys kind of pan out. But then with Jordan yep. Love, we kind of gave him love, like, oh, the possibilities and endless. In your mind, what are the differences between the two? It's early. It's only a, a week or two weeks into the season. Yeah. What are the differences between when you look at Herbert on tape and when you look at Jordan Love on tape? Well, I think they're both big, strong guys, big arms. I think Love just moves around a little bit more fluid. Herbert's just, a, you know, he's he can run. He's going to run a decent time and all that, but he's a little more stiff. Um, just everything's just more, uh, there's more elasticity uh, mm-hmm. with, with Jordan Love, just watching him move around, even the way he throws the ball. You'll see him drop his arm angles and do different things. There's um, some natural like backyard football instinctive things that I like about Jordan Love that I, that I feel good about. Now he's uh, he's not you know I think Herbert's more polished and further along in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Herbert decision making wise I would give him a little bit of a nod right now. I thought Jordan Love was played a little bit reckless at times. Yeah. Um, but you know to me I would just say it's just like you're watching basketball players and and he's Jordan Love is just more silky and more you know yeah he just, just has the way a feel he moves everything yeah. just. Just easier feel. feel to it. Uh, I say maybe. So that's that's how I would say the difference. No, was. it might be the difference between watching Steph Curry play and Clay Thompson. Like Steph Curry is a little more rhythmic, yeah. the way he bounces or whatever. Clay Thompson is mm-hmm. a little more uh, basic. They both can give you numbers, but they do it in a different way. Yeah, uh, so true. All right, let's get to this last one here real quick, and we got to get rolling. But Jake from from Georgia. Well, shoot, with that running back. I mean, I watched that tape, Buck. I mean, <laughs> as good as Swift was last year, man. <laughs> Even better this year. Unbelievable. But uh, he didn't have to throw it much. He did not have to throw it much. 15 to 23 for 156, one touchdown, no picks. Uh, They beat Vandy 30 to 6. The one point that my takeaway was from, uh, he missed a couple throws. He does not have a huge arm. Mm -mm. But what he does is he can absolutely hang in the pocket and deliver the ball under duress. His toughness, I put out a couple plays where he took some shots. And it's great to see a quarterback – in an era where guys are looking to bail and guys are looking to wheel out the back door, his eyes never dropped. Eyes are down the field, and uh, he'll take his medicine and, and deliver the ball. That's funny you talk about taking medicine. I believe toughness is an underrated aspect of playing quarterback. Uh, your quarterback has to be a tough guy. He has to be willing to hang in and, and deal with the punishment and the pressure and the duress that kind of comes his way. Jake Fromm certainly does all of that. Uh in terms of his arm talent, um, he's not an upper echelon guy when it comes to throwing the rock and being able to do it. But I do believe there is something to be said for a guy who is a winner, a guy who has leadership, 
uh, ability and has the intangibles that you look for at the position. Uh, it'll be an intriguing and fascinating discussion as we continue to go down the line uh, taking a look at him. Oh, and, and again, the running back there, that's worth the price of admission to watch DeAndre Swift. Man, By they, the way, I haven't yeah. done him yet, but they have a tight end, number 89, whoever that is. I haven't done him yet, but dang, that dude blocks his butt off. Hey, uh, ha- cl- clap of the hands for, for 89, the tight end. <laughs> he was killing folks. It's funny because we won't talk about running backs much, but, man, I'm really excited. I like some of these running backs in this class. Just had a chance to look at Zach Moss from Utah. He is my kind of running back in terms of oh, yeah. physical, the way he finishes, a tone setter. Uh, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin had a solid weekend. Uh, Wisconsin just kind of has a way for producing these backs, and he is in that mold. I kind of call him – like he kind of reminded yep. me a little bit of James White and Terrell Fletcher going all the way back um, in Wisconsin lore. Nice. Going all the way back in Wisconsin lore. It, it's just amazing to me how Wisconsin just has these guys. And maybe it's their uniforms where they don't look flashy or whatever, but they just kind of produce. But, man, there, there's some really intriguing players – and that stuff. And then Jake Fromm, we talked about him, but the guys yep. who he beat out, Jacob Eason and Justin Fields, they both had really, oh, really good. They both tore it up. <laughs> I mean, they both had really good games. Wow. Wow. I just can't imagine being Georgia having these guys on campus. Woo. Tough, tough, tough problem. Tough problem. I was trying to think of what would be the, uh, what would be the equivalent of that. So you had uh, – who I think was it? Who was you, the quarterback at Texas Tech that beat out beat out all those guys? Uh, Remember, she was Mayfield was there. It was Pat, it was Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes, and Pat. Davis Webb. Um, he sent he sent Davis Mayfield. Webb to Cal, yeah. right? Yeah, and he sent Mayfield out. And then um, way back in well, the day, well, there's a reason for that. It's Pat Mahomes. I yes. was like, okay, <laughs> now I get it now. And then back in the day, I think uh, UW had was it Hobart and Mark Brunel, both playing at the same yeah. time. Had all those guys or whatever. Just. Fascinating to watch, but yeah, those those backups, Jacob Eason and Justin Fields, killed it when they had their chance. Yeah, that's insane, man. Um, anyways, fun uh, fun to watch college football this week. Any other guys you want to hit at before we? Uh, no, nah, I'm not. Everybody? I'm not. I'm not going to say anything, but um, you know, and I. Oh, know. That, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, I'm not. Hey, we're not. I, I, I you know, I, and I know. I, I, I saw. I, I apologized. I saw the did, stuff. Did, Everybody, everybody, I, I did. I saw it. I, it was nice. It was. I apologize. A lot of, a lot of jokes. I did not. You I did not and, know the Tar Heels were going to go get the uh, Gamecocks. Come on, man. Coach, Coach Brown is we back. Took our, we took our shots. Coach Brown is back. No, I was. I was happy for Coach Brown. He's. A, he is a. No, great it's not. Man it, and it, look, a big influence on your life. No, nah, it, it's. It's not even so much that. Everything happens when you have a quarterback, and that young quarterback, man, they somehow got him. He's a lead eleven quarterback. He plays well. He had great poise, and we'll see if people catch up to that offense, but. For one for one weekend, it was it was fun dusting off my old Tar Heel stuff and having my chest poked out. By the way, Coach Brown's going to be on the pod here coming up. Before we're going to get Coach Brown on the pod, it's confirmed Is before it? the App State North Carolina game. Oh, I'm working no. on getting Coach Drinkwitz on oh, because no. we're heading there. I need you guys to be in the no. top 25 because I don't want to walk out uh, of that we stadium won't be in the top without 25. a win over the top 25 I team. I don't know how good we Come are. I don't know if we shot our load. If we if we shot our wide. Against no, you're going to get Carolina. Miami this week. Yeah. I a, I don't know if you're allowed to say that. B, uh, <laughs> I know, we're, coming, I know. we're coming after you guys. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping you guys are undefeated in the top 25. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Oh, hey. Anyways, that's uh, that's gonna do it for us today. Nabil, nicely done as uh, as the producer today, taking over the reins. Good job, Nabil. Nabil's one of those Miami uh, guys. Fun hey, show. You one of those Miami dudes? You one of them Hurricane guys? Oh, you yeah. and Reggie Wayne and all that? 
Yeah, I know all of them, and you know Michael Irvin out here. Oh, playmaker, whatever. Up. Look, don't come up in here wearing that turnover chain or that 305 or whatever stuff that they wear. Manny Diaz has has you guys all you swagged guys out. Week. You know, like don't don't start that. You and former Kent, uh, we Kent, got, we everybody. Come up yeah. With something for this game. Which game? The Miami Neville, game. Uh, Neville versus Bucky. Yeah, oh, you guys play this week, right? Yeah, what's the little? Yeah, was it, uh, well, was it, not, we don't was use it, that word. We don't use that word. No, 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 no. no. The contest, contest. Yeah, contest. Uh, yeah. What is what is uh, what is your yeah, little? You what is the little storks? What's the little bird name? What's what's the bird? Ibis. Yeah, Ibis. Ibis. Yeah, that's it. You might have to wear that. You might have to come in the in the studio wearing that. <laughs> you might have to wear uh, Miami gear. <laughs> wow. All right. We'll get we'll get this all ironed out before the next episode. I promise you. Uh, anyways, fun episode today. Thanks to Bruce Feldman for joining us. Um, uh, we're gonna have more content coming your way. We are gonna be back on Wednesday with a new fresh pod, and then once we get through this week, we are coming your way three days a week with the Move the Sticks podcast. So I uh, do appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for for uh, leaving us a review and a rating there on Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate that. Uh, all our videos, check them out, youtube.com uh, slash NFL podcast for the podcast, and then for other videos, go to nfl.com slash MTS video. He's Bucky Brooks. I'm Daniel Jeremiah. Thanks for listening to Move the Sticks. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. 
Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at zerofoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.